What's going on, y'all? Thank you so much for joining Inside the Room with myself, Brandon McGee, where we discuss real life topics that reach lives well beyond these virtual walls and in your car or as you prepare for church, whatever the case might be. Uh, but you also know this is your space where we discuss politics, leadership, and culture. And I am glad that you've returned. Um, it's Sunday, y'all, and I know that you all enjoy listening to me every Sunday, but you'd rather me interview others. Um, and so I've honored your request, right? Some of y'all have been praying. Thank you. Um, I am so honored. <laughs> My guest is dying laughing in the room today, um, but I'm so honored to be joined uh, by, and I hate saying this, but I have to say it, my little sister, because uh, I want to give her a space. She's a professional and, you know, and we have uh, quite a few people listening uh, to us, um, but nonetheless, Akia Kalam, uh, Director of People and Culture at Bridge to Success Community Partnership um, here in the great state of, state of Connecticut. Uh, the city of Waterbury, to be exact. Um, Akia. Akia is a seasoned brand architect, community organizer, political strategist, social justice advocate, trained RBF facilitator. I don't know what that means, but it sounds very fancy. And educator with about 10 years or more uh, of experience. And uh, for me, she's proven what it means to meet the needs of cross-sector entities uh, nationwide. She hails from Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York. Uh, and Akia also believes, like myself, um, relationship building is essential. It's key. And this is a good one. Her knack for effective and personalized communication tactics enhances her ability to connect with so many people uh, and so many walks of life. Uh, she's developed uh, an extreme love for her community, uh, advocacy, and social justice at a very young age. And I think she's still young, but anyway, um, she worked for the New York City Council. Uh, she founded the Black Student Union at Post University in 2015. And she served in so many other leadership roles at premier organizations, including the National Advancement Association um, for the Advancement of Colored People uh, on the state and national level. And again, y'all would think I'm not a part of NAACP by messing up their name. I need to put some respect on their name. Um, but anyway, welcome, welcome. Let's welcome Akia Column to Inside the Room. What's going on, sis? Hey, big bro. You would have thought that you... <laughs> <laughs> president for Alabama a couple years back but I'm, I know. I'm good look I'm glad you said a couple years because we're talking like 16 or more years I know but I, I meant to make it seem as if it was relative <laughs> <laughs> so it's so a couple but you blew up your spot by yourself but that's fine hi everybody I'm glad to I be know. here oh my god so tell us a little bit about who Akia is like you give up yourself like all of yourself um, and I've watched you um, and have been so very proud of you um, to see how you've matured, um, but also how you intentionally engage younger people by bringing them alongside your journey uh, and creating opportunities for them. But tell us a little bit about how Akia became Akia. Like, talk to us. Oh, okay. Um, 
So I'm from Brooklyn, if you didn't hear already. <laughs> I'm from Brooklyn, New York. Um, my parents immigrated from Jamaica 26 years ago now, um, in 1996, um, to New York. And I was born and raised there. So I actually went to schools um, in New York City Public Schools um, from A all the way up to 12th grade. And my parents, because they were immigrants, uh, they weren't in... It wasn't an intentional um, makeup with the constitution that we currently here, have here in the United States, right? Uh, to have black people, but let alone black immigrants, be a part of the fabric of the constitution and like having to navigate systems that were not necessarily meant for them was a challenge for them. Um, so I became the interpreter, I became the translator, I became the one that you know reminded mommy and daddy about parent-teacher conferences and things that they had. And granted, they did it, right? Um, but those critical things that I had to do uh, when I was younger, being the eldest daughter of immigrants kind of propelled me and prepared me to move this, my journey along. Um, I learned a lot about activism and advocacy through church. And I think I always mention that even when I'm in different speaking engagements where, where I'm talking about like, Kia, like where do you guys start? I'm like, well, church really was my anchor. They taught me a lot about who I am and who I was as a person, but also gave me the context behind culture and the blending of cultures, both between African-American culture, um, seeing that I was born here, and then like being Afro-Caribbean as well, and blending what that might look like. Um, it propelled me into sports, <laughs> so I ended up running track at Benjamin Banker Academy, which I was just talking to you about being the historically black high school, one of. Yeah, I, that, that's gotta be a new term that you people- I don't people think so. I don't think Maybe. so. I, that's new. Tell me that term again, historically black high schools. HBHS. I'm going to coin that. <laughs> I'm going to coin that. Yeah, because we had like- You should. I you should, right? coin that. Yes, yes, you should. We're going to like, document this, that I said this at this time on this day. That <laughs> on this show. On, on this show. show. Yeah, we're going to get a trademark. Like, that, that was it. It's a historically black high school because we had black teachers and then we had black students and like we graduated at like high rates. So like, yes, I'm gonna just say mm. that. Anyway, so I did that and I ended up going to college um, on a track scholarship. Post university, did not have a black student union at the time. I was defunct for about 13 years. I was a freshman in 2015. Um, wow. And I started all over again and I got support from community um, partners like the NAACP, um, they actually was, was there was a, a Black Thought Aid conference at Yale that we went to every year. Um, I was a Ujima leader um, at Yale for all three years that I was in college. I graduated early. Um, and then, okay, yeah. pause. Hold on. That's a lot. So you got to break down the term Ujima. Like, I think all of us know, but never want to make the assumption. But I thought I knew that, but I didn't know you graduated early. I did. I graduated early twice. <laughs> okay, carry on. Carry on. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It's Ujima. Okay. Yeah, so I was a Ujima leader, which means collective work and responsibility. Um, and Yale, their Black Student Alliance, so not Black Student Union, Black Student Alliance put on every year a conference for about 700 students across the country um, from colleges and universities to meet in New Haven. Um, and it was like a three-day conference. So within the, the scope of the conferences, uh, you would have a Ujima leader and then you have a Ujima group. So I was a leader. I was able to talk and do workshops with students um, within the last, well, the last three years during my time as an undergraduate student. Um, 
Which is really dope, right? Like I was able to be with about 25 students each time. Uh, I still have pictures of them in my phone. <laughs> and so I'm in contact with them because a lot of them moved on to go to law school, which is great. Um, but really to have, like, kick back and talk about culture and, like, just be yourselves. And, and like, I think that was a good um, point for me, um, a reflection point for me, especially when I was talking about advocacy on my college campus itself and, like, bringing them along to, like, figuring out what diversity actually means on a college campus. Mm outside of the, the scope of like let's just put this black girl in a picture <laughs> on, on, a, on a frame right right, right. Or go sit down in grass and like hold hands like it needs to be more and, than that <laughs> so, and help me understand the demographic makeup of post-university at the time so so people know how important this the founding or the reactive reactivation of the student black student union was yeah, so at the time we had about 13 to 14 percent of um, black students on campus uh, compared mm. to a larger population of more um, white, either white students or students that were international students. So the international student population was larger. Um, so yeah, we was a, we had forty percent of students. Uh, a lot of a lot of the students were on um, sports teams. I want to say track teams, but sports teams. Uh, so that was also helpful to kind of figure out what that next step might be. BSU yep. means we're on every Tuesday at seven p.m. Um, right after track practice. So. <laughs> We, we definitely, it was definitely a place to learn about culture. Um, we had like frequent, and we had guests that came and like spoke to us about certain things. Um, I led certain workshops as well. We had movie nights, we had kickbacks, we had like healthy foods. I had a uh, black restaurant day um, where what? different black restaurants from, from Waterway came in and everybody ate for free. It was dope, like it was cool. <laughs> so tell me again, and I'm sorry, but what does RBF means as a facilitator? Oh yeah, so trained. yeah, some research based. No, no, results based facilitator. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm able to move people from point A to point B um, within meetings. Oh, okay, yeah. all right, fancy. So if y'all want to hire her, y'all, yeah. y'all know, y'all get all of her social media handles at the end. Um, but that's dope. That's dope. Now, like, I want to take a quick break and then we can jump into a few things that I wanna ask and just to kind of prep folks as they're listening. Um, Akia is, so when you think of, when you think of uh, talk shows, right? And they bring in experts, you're my expert for today on all things related to politics and culture and all that good stuff. And I think what's even more important is that you bring another perspective uh, to conversations where a lot of old fogies, excuse me, seasoned people are having these conversations, but it's absent of the millennial voice and the impact of younger activists in this space. So um, y'all don't go nowhere. Keep it locked right here on the official FUBU radio uh, where we are inside the room. And today we have a special guest, Miss Akia. I'm gonna call her Dr. Akia S. Column Esquire. Like that's gonna be the name. Yeah, let's do that for now. All right, so y'all keep it locked. We'll be right back, all right? What's going on, y'all? And welcome back to Inside the Room with Brandon McGee here. And if you missed the intro of today's segment, we have a very special guest. Um, her name is Akia Column. She's a seasoned brand architect, community organizer, political strategist, and social justice advocate. Um, who's doing a lot of amazing things here in the state of Connecticut and basically throughout the East Coast. 
Um, and we, you know, talked a little bit about her, her journey uh, to where she is now. Uh, and today she's my co-host and we're talking a little bit on the importance of being engaged, being engaged. And I want to kind of kick off a series of conversation on um, just politics, but I really want to back into this whole Elon Musk Twitter purchase that happened last week. Um, dude spent about $44 billion, that's with a B, to buy out um, Elon Musk, billionaire, CEO, to purchase and buy out um, Twitter. And we all know what Twitter is, y'all. Twitter is basically an influential uh, platform uh, that really creates and sets agendas for many different things from politics to religion, culture, you name it. Um, when you got people like Cardi B and all these folks on Twitter, it is hilarious. But anyway, um, many people have had questions about what this purchase means for the future of Twitter and also one that is of great importance to me in this show is free speech overall. Um, but I want to read this quick quote, and then I want to hear your feedback, um, Akia. And the quote is, uh, and I quote, free, free speech is the bedrock of a functioning democracy, and Twitter is the digital town square where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated. That is true indeed. Um, so, like, for me, this purchase is really scary. Uh, I want to know your thoughts on this. Like, what are some of the implications uh, for this social media giant as it relates to Twitter, Twitter's policies, regulatory changes, et cetera? Like, what's your, what's your reaction to this? Like, $44 yeah. billion. Yeah, I mean, $44 billion, for you to drop $44 billion on an app and like not be broke <laughs> afterwards is nuts. Um, I think even thinking about like the advocacy space and the activism space right now where people are really fighting for like free college and to eradicate college debt. And, you know, right. we're talking about trillions of dollars, but like the fact that you as one single individual are able to drop Forty-four billion, as if it was like four dollars and forty-four cents on like a piece of egg and cheese at a corner store. That's nuts, right? Like oh. that. I mean, I you just I'm, talking about it. I'm, I'm like forty-four billion, billion. I'm, I'm not even sure I'm gonna see that in, in my lifetime, right? Like, I don't think an average person can imagine what forty-four billion dollars looks like. Um, let alone how many zeros is at the end of that forty-four. <laughs> like, right. I just don't. I don't know what that that. I don't know how that feels. I know that it will change like $1 billion, $1 million, $100,000, which changed my life completely right now, right? Like, so for you to have $44 billion and just drop it like, hey, y'all, I'm here. I'm like, okay, cool. Right, um, I think right. also to uh, the regulation part. So I'm thinking about power, um, the TV show, which we'll get to <laughs> eventually because you're like, I don't know what that is. Well, in full transparency, I don't, think i'm sorry 50 like and 50 is is someone who i really respect um i have, I have not watched it but my mentor june archer they're all in like that's 50 yeah. cent circle I, I gotta catch up okay anyway your thought it's like power all that good stuff keep going yeah so power um and in one of the renditions of power i don't remember which one it is but like 50s song is like money, power, powder, and respect. And like, imagine thinking about somebody that has money, like 
people automatically, most folks automatically assume that they have a lot of power and influence, right? And like if you're able to leverage that, of course you will have a lot of power and influence over people, but the fact that you have power and influence over an entire country, um, a nation, because it's not a, a American use-based app, right? International, like we found out about key events, news events, um, like Palestine through Twitter, right? Like we found out about right. key events, um, about what's happening in the Middle East through Twitter. Like we found out a lot of stuff through Twitter. Um, and when things were happening, even when COVID and, and the coronavirus pa pandemic started, like Twitter was definitely a, a, a source of information and news anchor for a lot of people. And you mentioned before about um, the influence of Twitter, but Twitter has also been a mecca of culture, right? Like black Twitter mm -hmm. is a real thing and doing clapbacks and all that other stuff. Um, so when we think about free speech, like free speech to what extent and then who are we impacting when we mm. um, not have one person in charge of the entire ecosystem of Twitter, uh, which many people are saying is like a, a, a backlash towards the fact that Twitter banned Donnie <laughs> a long time ago. I was ago. just going to ask you, do you think this is like a, a Twitter 2.0, AKA, BKA, Donald Trump, like creating space for him. Like, do you envision Elon Musk saying, look, he's only, and by the way, to those folks listening, he, he was only suspended, meaning he can always be yeah. welcome back. And we're talking about Donald Trump, but anyway, yeah. go ahead. No, I'm, I'm not entirely too sure on if I could like pinpoint that as a, as a, a marker for Elon Musk. I think he's just a, a billionaire, like how Jeff Bezos went to space for the first time and was like, all right, cool, like I'm good. <laughs> I think when people have money, they do what they want. <laughs> like I just don't, I don't know. I don't know if there's a direct correlation and I might be wrong, right? There, there might be some additional research that's out there that folks are able to really narrow in and pinpoint them, but I don't know if I can speak directly to that. Yeah, yeah. So do you think, do you think that, that this would ultimately, and I think you, you touched on this a little bit, but, do you think it will impact sort of American politics, right? Do you think the Congress will essentially put together some legislation um, toward like regulating the social media platforms? I know they have with Facebook and other places, but explicitly around disinformation because Twitter and Facebook and other big giants, Instagram, What's the other one? Snapchat. Like misinformation is absolutely insane. And it seems like there's like been upticks of it um, over the last maybe five to 10 years or so. But do you think Congress will act sort of aggressively after like, like this particular purchase? I mean, I would hope so. I think folks, especially in, in like the BIPOC space, um, a lot of people are talking about how how these pause pause what what's BIPOC because I know some of our listeners are like Sorry. what y'all got another y'all got another <laughs> name. Um, so tell tell us what BIPOC is. Black Indigenous people of color. Um, Why can't we just be black and brown? I mean, we can if you want to. I'm, it's fine. I use either or. Like I'm. I do as well, but I, I think I think when we have sort of a cross generation of people, um, folks are like, I remember when I first used that term and yeah. I was at church <laughs> and folks was like, hmm. by by who? What? <laughs> 
but anyway, BIPOC, you were you were saying. Um, yeah, I mean, I think people in the black and brown space uh, <laughs> are thinking more like um, there has been a lot of uh, temperament around what we can say and what we could do. Like we've seen that there has been racism embedded in these apps where they have regulated us, but not necessarily regulating other things. So like, for instance, like the January 6th attack, right? There were a lot of things that were happening, popping off on Facebook and on Twitter. And like, y'all were talking about, you can't say anything about X, Y, and Z in a black space or from a black perspective or, or from my perspective of being a black person in America, because that's going against your rights and, and free speech and whatever. But then you will have folks talking about like, we bustle to the Capitol and, and ram into this piece. Like that don't make no sense. Um, so. I think hopefully, I would hope that um, Congress would enact some type of regulation or change through legislation that could probably codify some of the things mm -hmm. that we have going on um, through social media, not only Twitter, because I think Twitter is just one out of many um, social media tools that are being utilized. But I'm also just like, you know, at what point do we start to make our own stuff and like stick to it? Like, I think there's things that mm. just come at like ebbs and flows and like, we might hop on it for like a second, then like we'd be like, all right, cool, like let's go back to Facebook. Everybody else is on Facebook, everybody else is on Twitter, or everybody else is on Instagram. Um, and that's where everybody's at. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. I noticed, I noticed on on Twitter, and ever since I have um, my departure from the Connecticut General Assembly to work in the other side of politics, um, I haven't been as active on Twitter. However, I do lurk. And I go on and I look and I try to see what's going on with other folks. And I've been reading a lot of um, Twitter captions and tweets rather, um, where people are like, yo, did you lose followers? Have you noticed such and such canceled or deleted their accounts as a result of this purchase? Do you, I guess my question is, do you believe that it'll, it'll impact and this is for the culture, but do you believe it'll impact spaces like Black Twitter where we're just like, oh no, we're out. Let's create, hopefully Black techs are listening. Hopefully they're creating spaces for us, not just Clubhouse, because you're famous on Clubhouse, <laughs> um, but like other spaces where we, we create our own thing. Like, do you think the future of Twitter has really had a negative impact on those types of movements? I'm, I'm not sure. Like, I think notoriously you have seen ebbs and flows of like yeah. people leaving and then coming back. Like we have blackout on like standing solidarity with like black folks on like black, Instagram mm -hmm. and Facebook and we came back. It's like, all right, like there's ebbs and flows. I think um, they are really powerful tools to be utilized within the black community when used correctly. Um, and I don't necessarily, I, I don't know if it's going to have a, a effect that's negative on like us moving towards like okay like now that Elon Musk has purchased Twitter like now we're all gonna that. just jump shit yeah we're gonna jump yeah, shit I don't, yeah. I don't know I don't know if it's gonna do that I mean I'm hopefully in my generation that I'll see like the evolution of a black tech space where like there's like the involvement of like our own Facebook or our own Twitter or our own Instagram platform that all of us are on um and are able to utilize but then we might get pushback, which I feel like we always do about like creating these intentional spaces for black and brown people. Yeah, you know, I, I can only think of um, when you started to talk about uh, the black sort of tech space, I thought about Isaac Hayes' son, Isaac Hayes Jr. 
he started um, an application, a subscription social media type platform called Fanbase. I'm still trying to understand what Fanbase is all about, but it's the fact that it is led by a Black person. I'm really excited about that. Um, but you just, you kind of jogged my, my, my thought process on that. But I just, I'm thinking though, is this an opportunity to really create true activism beyond just the digital space, right? I, and I'm gonna paraphrase. I remember former President Barack Obama um, saying, you know, y'all just can't live behind your smartphones. You actually have to get out off your couches, off the porch and engage with people. I'm paraphrasing, okay? That, those are not his exact words, but the point I'm getting at, do you think this creates or forces us to revisit true activism? And I don't even know if that's the great, that's a, that's a good way of describing it because activism is activism, right? You can do it on digital, you can do it in person, whatever. But do you think it'll increase more engagement of millennials human to human versus just sharing tweets and having digital campaigns, et cetera? I don't know. I'm just asking. Yeah, yeah. I know. This is a, this is a conversation. So I feel like there there <laughs> is space for everybody to do what they got to do, right? Like I think also like there is a art of activism, and I think people don't understand the culture sometimes mm. of like when you're going outside to protest. There was a reason why people would link arms, or so there are reasons why there would be clergy on the outside and like the protest on the inside to protect, like to create like a a, a barrier um, between like the quote unquote outside world, right? Like there are certain things that people are not taught or like is not a foundational part of this, like this new activism wave um, that we're moving into. And like, of course you might need to need a tweet. I didn't know about Breonna Taylor unless I had the tweet. I didn't know about Ahmaud Arbery unless I had the tweet, right? Like, so- Preach, like, and I'm snapping my fingers cause I'm like, that's, that's dope. No, seriously, like I didn't know anything didn't know about that. it. Nope. You wouldn't know anything about that. And then also like, I don't, like when folks make it seem, seem as if it's like a siloed things, right? Like mm. there's Brianna Taylor's here in Connecticut. There are Ahmaud Arbery's here in Connecticut. Um, there are situations that has happened in the North where people are trying to make it seem as if like voter suppression only happens down South. Like no it happens here too, y'all. Just it's more subtle. Mm. Um, and I figured mm. out what that might look like and how do you not bridge that gap? Um, I think there is an intergenerational uh, divide where we're still trying to figure out how to communicate with each other. Um, mm. Where, you know, I might be feisty Kia, and then y'all might be like, all right, slow your roll, young girl. Like, you got to tricks with trade. I'm just like, well, I'm ready to go now. Like, what y'all doing? Um, so, like, you know, we really are trying to figure each other out um, simultaneously. So I think in terms of activism, like, reeling it back and, like, maybe having folks be more Wait, don't, don't jump, don't jump too far into it, because we're going to talk about sort of this new wave of, of, activists right okay. and and i really want to unpack it no 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 i asked the question so it, you it's good I'm, I'm happy that you're you're going there but i think this is a great segue into sort of this topic on your boy uh rufus montgomery and his commentary so before we jump into that um i want to take another break give folks a chance to get their coffee whatever they need to do um, and meet us back inside the room after this quick break. So, of course, you are tuned into the official FUBU radio right here 
on Inside the Room. And we're here with Akia and we're just chopping it up, y'all, on this Sunday. Uh, so keep it locked right here on FUBU Radio. What's going on, y'all? Brandon McGee here. And I just, I'm just going to jump right in. Um, this is the final segment of what has been an amazing time uh, with my young sister, my baby sister, Akia, um, and just hearing her thoughts on trending political topics that have impacted each and every one of our lives, uh, from Elon Musk to um, voting suppression, you name it. Uh, and I, I wanna pick her brain once more on like this idea of, of the next generation of activists and pose a question, you know, for those young people who are listening, you know, you, you have an itch, you have a desire uh, to help your community better, or you have an issue that you've just, you've been fighting really hard, whether you're organizing or you're doing some positive stuff online and you're trying to educate people on the importance of community building. Like, I think it's important because if you read back in history and you look at the Martin Kings of the world and the Harry Belafontes and the Nina Simones and all of these folks, they started at a very, very young age. Uh, and had it not been for the youth in the college division of the NAACP, um, that's the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, got it right that time, uh, and Rosa Parks, who, you know, basically manage youth councils in the city of Montgomery, Alabama. Like, had it not been for young people, I'm not certain. And you can't even talk about civil rights movement without talking about John Lewis, you know, and his commitment uh, to the evolution of civil rights. So in saying all of that, and having this amazing soul, this architect of social justice um, right here on our show, Akia, talk to me a little bit about like the current generation of activists um, and like, what do we need to do? How do we keep our young people engaged? Um, our young people, quite frankly, that are looking on social media and thinking, yo, I want to be like Lizzie. I want to be like, or Lizzo, not Lizzie. Lizzie was my great grandmother. <laughs> but I actually love her though, because the fact that that woman is able to kind of just do her respectfully, uh, like is dope. But anyway, the question at hand is how do we get young people involved um, in this new wave of activism? And shout out to Tiffany and everybody else. Yeah, go out shout there. my girl out. Yeah, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think honestly, listen and also allow us to make mistakes. I think folks, like you named off a lot of people that got started very early in the movement and they had mentors and people that helped like walk them through. But also like I think they allow them to make mistakes as well. And I think there's this like connotation that's brewing up that you have to be perfect um and we're moving away from this um respectability politics notion of being where you know i might not put my zoom camera on <laughs> while you're doing a class presentation or when you have a webinar but i'm so like actively participating like that doesn't mean that i'm a part that i'm not being um a part of what you have going on um so moving away from that i think also moving away from 
like this idea of like how you need to dress like of course there's parameters right but I think as we continue to to tread into this respectability politics stuff like we also are rubbing against white supremacy and like we need to now start to separate ourselves away from that um mm. this new era of activists I am super proud of you all I'm super proud to be a part of like this ever evolving group because we're challenging systems especially around um things that mean that matter to us right like activism does not always have to mean marching in the streets or it doesn't always have to mean paying black lives matter down the streets when that was a thing back, back in 2020 um but like it could also mean pushing back on employees about wages right like and you've been seeing a, a huge preach preach um like increase in people talk about transparency and pay which i'm grateful to connected for the fact that we now have have that codified as a part of legislation where like employers lol y'all have to make sure she puts salaries out there i'm not about to apply for a job that's only paying me thirty thousand dollars but i know i'm worth x amount of money that's right right so like i think as of right now the future of activism is bright um as of right now i think the future of activism still has the opportunity to reinvent themselves where they are able to cling to the things of the past where there might be some practices or best practices that might have been utilized similar to what i was talking about earlier today where there was clergy walking the outside and people walking on the inside they would link arms when they were doing marches and protests but also what's the next part like what's next like we yep. do a lot of this activism stuff of, of walking and marching and, and yelling in the streets, but we don't take it to the next step where there's not, or oftentimes there's not a follow-up to um, showing it, or in reverse, there might be a follow-up, but people are not capturing that information to allow people to understand like, hey, y'all, you said X, Y, and Z, we have done this, and then we went to that, we went to LOB, we did mm. all these different things, and we followed up, and this is where we came to where our general conclusion. Of course, there are other things that you could probably do, we'll be more than happy to listen to suggestions that you might have and move forward. Um, you have grassroots folks, you have organ you have organizers that actually work in organizations, like, and those folks show up differently, but I think we also need each other. Um, I don't want people to feel as if there needs to be a hierarchical structure either. Um, I think there are mm. there is beauty in working with other people. Um, and sometimes when we get into this frame of thinking that we only have to call on one set group of people or we have to like defer to a set group of people because they might have the expertise. Like other people have expertise in their own lived experience and they're able to share that equally and then we can move from, from that perspective onward. <laughs> So one of the one of the things that you mentioned, um, and I'm just gonna summarize it, um, this sort of loosening up of of um, the only word that I can think of is decorum. I'm yeah. not talking about clothes. I'm not talking just like you say respectability politics, but in my mind, I'm thinking, doesn't there need to be some form of like not boundaries, but like expectations in the way by which we do things so that we're working towards an end versus like, however we get there, we get there. And that's not what yeah. you're saying. You're not saying no. that. But I, I, I feel sometimes, um, and this is, this is sort of the consequences, not in a bad way, but the consequences of being my age, living in sort of like an influx of like, yeah like old school but new school but trying to create your own space so like I guess what I'm saying is do you think sometimes we lack structure 
all in the name of creating space for young people to be involved or like, yeah, I, I guess I don't know what I'm asking, but I, I'm just trying to figure out like, how do we keep and maintain some level of system and maybe the system is just so broken that we need to recreate and be innovative and nimble and all that other stuff. But I don't know, like, what, what are your thoughts on what you think I'm trying to say? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there needs to be policy procedures, of course, but I think when you get into a space of having people police the way young people speak or the way young people dress and like, now you're, you're missing the point, right? Like a young person might be able to say, that a SRO or a school resource officer was bothering them at school and you are looking at them because they have on sweatpants and Crocs and you're not able to like incorporate what their lived experience looks like to now push towards policy. Like that's, a good that's example. where I'm, I, that's where I think, I think that's where I'm at um, in terms of like what that meant. Like I was even policed, right? Like there was times where people were like, you can't say y'all, you can't say finna. I'm just like, but that's how I talk. Like, I just don't know. I don't understand. Like, that doesn't mean I'm stupid, right? Um, but there were just certain expectations that folks thought that they need to have on me as an individual person um, that I didn't think was warranted. Mm. Oh, my God. We probably can talk another hour um, on a lot of these, these topics. Um, but Akia, Director of People and Culture, um, at Bridge Success Community Partnership and a well-rounded community leader. What are some final parting words that you want to leave with my audience, our audience for, for the day? Like, what is it? How can people remain in touch, secure you, not for free, folks, pay <laughs> you to come facilitate, talk to their young people and even older people to weigh in on sort of their outdated perspective on how young people should be engaged, right? Like, how can people connect? What you got to say to the people before we close out? Yeah, um, my favorite quote of myself, hello, um, is titles and positions may get you into rooms, but who you Wait, are- Wait, say that people, again. Say that again. And, titles and positions may get you into rooms, but who you are as a person is what keeps you there. And that's my favorite quote from myself. But nonetheless- <laughs> Um, that's that's dope. I'm gonna use that. It's I'm nice, gonna right? use that. Yes, yeah, that's cool. Um, but no, this is cool. I, I really like perspectives, but also being able to articulate yourself. Um, I'm excited to be going to UConn Law in the fall. Um, so another degree in my boat. Um, but folks will keep, keep in contact. Thank you. Folks will keep in contact with me. Um, I have the same at or handle for everything. So it's a Kia S column on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Instagram, and on Facebook, if folks are interested in contacting me there. Um, and, and Clubhouse. And on Clubhouse is the same thing too, a Kia S column. Um, and if folks are interested in booking me, since Brandon has mentioned that, um, right. you could email me at a Kia, which is A-K-I-A at a Kia S column.com. Um, and I will look forward to reviewing some of your proposals. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And again, thank you all so much for another week right here inside the room with myself, Brandon McGee, where we discuss politics, leadership, and culture, and of course, all real life topics that reach our lives beyond these spaces, these virtual spaces that we're in, um, or wherever you are. Uh, but as I've said every single week, 
for those of you who have been following me, listening, all of the above, um, be sure to do something for yourself. Um, today is Sunday. It's the start of a new week. Um, try to do something uh, for yourself. Uh, jot down your to-do list and see if you can check everything off of your to-do list. It's all in the small steps um, as you continue to perfect what it is, whatever it is you're working toward. Uh, so as my good friend would say, uh, Mr. Jesse Jackson, y'all keep hope alive uh, and make sure that you all know I love you. Uh, and of course, y'all can follow me as well. While my handles are not all the same, uh, follow me on Instagram at underscore B-L-M-J underscore. And because we talk so much about Twitter today, you can also follow me on Twitter at rep. That's R-E-P, B-McGee, B-M-C-G-E-E. Uh, and of course, those of you who are like, I don't want to follow you on any of those pages. You are a Facebook person. Join the family right there on Facebook uh, and just type in inside the room uh, and you can follow our group. All right. Until next week. I love you. Peace. What's going on, y'all? Brandon McGee here, and I just, I'm just going to jump right in. Um, this is the final segment of what has been an amazing time uh, with my young sister, my baby sister, Akia, um, and just hearing her thoughts on trending political topics that have impacted each and every one of our lives, uh, from Elon Musk to um, voting suppression, you name it. Uh, and I, I want to pick her brain once more on like this idea of, of the next generation of activists and pose a question, you know, for those young people who are listening, you know, you, you have an itch, you have a desire uh, to help your community better, or you have an issue that you've just You've been fighting really hard, whether you're organizing or you're doing some positive stuff online and you're trying to educate people on the importance of community building. Like, I think it's important because if you read back in history and you look at the Martin Kings of the world and the Harry Belafontes and the Nina Simones and all of these folks, they started at a very, very young age. Uh, and had it not been for the youth in the college division of the NAACP. Um, that's the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, got it right that time. Uh, and Rosa Parks, who you know, basically manage youth councils in the city of Montgomery, Alabama. Like, had it not been for young people, I'm not certain. And you can't even talk about civil rights movement without talking about John Lewis, you know, and his commitment uh, to the evolution of civil rights. So in saying all of that and having this amazing soul, this architect of social justice um, right here on our show, Akia, talk to me a little bit about like the current generation of activists um, and like what do we need to do? How do we keep our young people engaged? Um, our young people, quite frankly, that are looking on social media and thinking, yo, I want to be like Lizzie. I want to be like, or Lizzo, not Lizzie. Lizzie was my great grandmother. 
but I actually love her though, because the fact that that woman is able to kind of just do her respectfully, uh, like is dope. But anyway, the question I hand is how do we get young people involved um, in this new wave of activism? And shout out to Tiffany and everybody else. Yeah, go shout my girl out. Yeah, please. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think honestly, listen and also allow us to make mistakes. I think folks, like you named off a lot of people that got started very early in the movement and they had mentors and people that helped like walk them through. But also like, I think they allow them to make mistakes as well. And I think there's this like connotation that's brewing up that you have to be perfect. Um, and we're moving away from this um, respectability politics notion of being where, you know, I might not put my Zoom camera on <laughs> while you're doing a class presentation or when you have a webinar, but I'm so like actively participating. Like that doesn't mean that I'm a part that I'm not being um, a part of what you have going on. Um, so moving away from that, I think also moving away from like this idea of like how you need to dress. Like of course there's parameters, right? But I think as we continue to to tread into this respectability politics stuff like we also are rubbing against white supremacy and like we need to now start to separate ourselves away from that um mm. this new era of activists i am super proud of you all i'm super proud to be a part of like this ever evolving group because we're challenging systems especially around um things that mean that matter to us right like activism does not always have to mean marching in the streets or it doesn't always have to mean paying Black Lives Matter down the streets when that was a thing back, back in 2020. Um, but like, it could also mean pushing back on employers about wages, right? Like, and you've been seeing a, a huge- Preach, preach. Um, like, increase in people talk about transparency and pay, which I'm grateful to connect for the fact that we now have have that codified as a part of legislation where like employers, LOL, I have to make sure she put salaries out there because I'm not about to apply for a job that's only paying me $30,000, but I know I'm worth X amount of money. That's right. In this world, right. So like, I think as of right now, the future of activism is bright. Um, as of right now, I think the future of activism still has the opportunity to reinvent themselves where they are able to cling to the things of the past, where there might be some practices or best practices that might have been utilized. Some to what I was talking about earlier today, where there was clergy walking on the outside and people walking on the inside. They would link arms when they were doing marches and protests. But also, what's the next part? Like, what's next? Like, we yep. do a lot of this activism stuff of, of walking and marching and, and yelling in the streets, but we don't take it to the next step where there's not, or oftentimes there's not a follow-up to um, showing it or in reverse, there might be a follow-up, but people are not capturing that information to allow people to understand like, hey, y'all, you said X, Y, and Z, we have done this. And then we went to that, we went to LLB, we did mm. all these different things and we followed up. And this is where we came to where our general conclusion. Of course, there are other things that you could probably do. We'll be more than happy to listen to suggestions that you might have and move forward. Um, we have grassroots folks, we have, we have organizers that actually work in organizations. Like, and those folks show up differently, but I think we also need each other. Um, I don't want people to feel as if there needs to be a hierarchical structure either. Um, I think there are mm. there is beauty in working with other people. Um, and sometimes when we get into this frame of thinking that we only have to call on one set group of people or we have to like defer to a set group of people because they might have the expertise. Like other people have expertise in their own lived experience and they're able to share that equally and then we can move from, from that perspective onward. 
So one of the, one of the things that you mentioned, um, and I'm just going to summarize it, um, this sort of loosening up of, of um, the only word that I can think of is decorum. I'm yep. not talking about clothes. I'm not talking just like you say respectability politics, but in my mind, I'm thinking, doesn't there need to be some form of like, not boundaries, but like expectations not- in the way by which we do things so that we're working towards an end versus like, however we get there, we get there. And that's not what yeah. you're saying. You're not saying no. that. But I, I, I feel sometimes, um, and this is, this is sort of the consequences, not in a bad way, but the consequences of being my age, living in sort of like an influx of like, yeah. like old school, but new school, but trying to create your own space. So like, I guess what I'm saying is, do you think sometimes we lack structure? all in the name of creating space for young people to be involved or like, yeah, I I guess I don't know what I'm asking, but I'm just trying to figure out like, how do we keep and maintain some level of system? And maybe the system is just so broken that we need to recreate and be innovative and nimble and all that other stuff. But I don't know, like, what, what are your thoughts on what you think I'm trying to say? (laughs) yeah I mean I think there needs to be policy procedures of course but I think when you get into a space of having people police the way young people speak or the way young people dress and like now you're you're missing the point right like a young person might be able to say that a SRO or a school resource officer was bothering them at school and you are looking at them because they have on sweatpants and crocs and you're not able to like incorporate what their lived experience looks like to now push towards policy like that's a good that's example where I, that's where I, th- I think that's where I'm at um in terms of like what that might like I was even policed right like there was times people were like you can't say y'all you can't say finna I'm just like but that's how I talk like I just don't know and I don't understand like that doesn't mean I'm stupid right um but there were just certain expectations that folks thought that they need to have on me as an individual person um, that I didn't think was warranted. Mm. Oh my God. We probably can talk another hour um, on a lot of these, these topics. Um, But Akia, director of people and culture um, at Bridge Success Community Partnership and a well-rounded community leader. What are some final parting words that you want to leave with my audience, our audience for for the day, like, what is it? How can people remain in touch? Secure you, not for free, folks. Pay <laughs> you to come facilitate, talk to their young people and even older people to weigh in on sort of their outdated perspective on how young people should be engaged, right? Like, how can people connect? What you got to say to the people before we close out? Yeah, um, my favorite quote of myself, hello, um, is titles and positions may get you into rooms, but who you Wait, are say that again. People, say titles that again. And, titles and positions may get you into rooms, but who you are as a person is what keeps you there. That's my favorite quote from myself. But nonetheless. <laughs> um, that's, that's dope. I'm going to use that. It's I'm nice, going right? to use that. Yes. Yeah, that's cool. Um, but no, this is cool. I, I really like 
perspectives, but also being able to articulate yourself. Um, I'm excited to be going to UConn Law in the fall. Um, so another degree in my boat. Um, but folks will keep, keep in contact. Thank you. Folks will keep in contact with me. Um, I have the same at or handle for everything. So it's Akia S. Column on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Instagram, and on Facebook. If folks are interested in contacting me there. Um, and, and Clubhouse. And on Clubhouse, it's the same thing too, Akia S. Column. Um, and if folks are interested in booking me, since Brandon has mentioned that, um, you could email me at Akia, which is A-K-I-A at AkiaSColumn.com. Um, and I will look forward to reviewing some of your proposals. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And again, thank you all so much for another week right here inside the room with myself, Brandon McGee, where we discuss politics, leadership, and culture, and of course, all real life topics that reach our lives beyond these spaces, these virtual spaces that we're in, um, or wherever you are. Uh, but as I've said every single week, for those of you who have been following me, listening, all of the above, um, be sure to do something for yourself. Um, today is Sunday. It's the start of a new week. Um, try to do something uh, for yourself. Uh, jot down your to-do list and see if you can check everything off of your to-do list. It's all in the small steps um, as you continue to perfect what it is, whatever it is you're working toward. Uh, so as my good friend would say, uh, Mr. Jesse Jackson, y'all keep hope alive uh, and make sure that you all know I love you. Uh, and of course, y'all can follow me as well. While my handles are not all the same, uh, follow me on Instagram at underscore B-L-M-J underscore. And because we talk so much about Twitter today, you can also follow me on Twitter at rep. That's R-E-P-B-McGee, B-M-C-G-E-E. -E. Uh, and of course, those of you who are like, I don't want to follow you on any of those pages. You are a Facebook person. Join the family right there on Facebook uh, and just type in inside the room uh, and you can follow our group. All right. Until next week. I love you. Peace.